You know, we talk a lot about the rule of law, but what we should focus on is the force of law. The rule of law is about order. It keeps legislative powers away from abuse. It's designed to prevent tyranny. It ensures that Lady Justice remains blind. Um, it's an example of actual equality. And most importantly, it strives for nonviolence. However, the force of law is not as clear. It uses power and the power of law to bring disorder, often resulting in violence or coercion that labels itself as justice. It's what happens when somebody rips the blindfold off of Lady Justice's face. It's usually somebody in a ruling class that will do it, an elite. It's what allows presidents and rulers to dig their grubby fingers into legislative powers. This can lead to a total suspension of law if it all gets out of control. Here in America, it's all about to lose control. The rule of law has vanished. We've seen it happen live, especially over the last six years. Well, today's guest uh, is a guy who's witnessed the systematic corruption up close. In fact, I would suggest that this was a threat on his life. Remember the page after page after page that was completely redacted for the Mar-a-Lago thing? This paragraph, for some reason, just mentions his name. You'll hear why he thinks that's so important and what it was really meant to do. He's a former national security prosecutor. He has held posts within the CIA and the House Select Committee on Intelligence. He has had several high-ranking positions within the White House, including chief of staff to the Secretary of Defense. As Trump's counterterrorism advisor, he traveled to Damascus in an effort to negotiate the release of two Americans being held hostage by the Assad regime. He was a lead investigator during the Russia Gate hoax. His invest in, uh, investigation led to the firing of Peter Strzok and several other questionable bureaucrats. They've retaliated against him with the force of law. It's no coincidence that he was named in the Mar-a-Lago search, uh, the uh, search warrant affidavit. His name was uh, one of the few parts of the document that wasn't redacted. He was also given access by Trump to the National Archives. What did he find? Did he ever go? So if anybody knows about what the FBI was after at Mar-a-Lago, it's probably him. If, he, if anybody knows what the deep state is, it's probably him. As a result, he has faced death threats, racism that you would not believe. But as you're about to see... He is what I would describe as um, unflappable. He does not back down in the face of corruption. Today's podcast, welcome Cash Patel. Okay, before we get to Cash, let me tell you, we don't know the future for sure. Nobody does. But I can kind of guess, and you will really uh, see that as this interview progresses, if it progresses the way I think it's going to, um, is a good shot things don't work out real well might be a bumpy ride so what do you do you got to prepare your family right now just today there was a the uh, the farmers of europe got together and made an announcement 
vegetables are going to be hard to find uh, this winter. Oh, good. So energy and food. We are facing massive food shortages all over the world, and it will affect you. And as inflation rises, that will affect you in food. So would you consider storing some food? I mean, you don't know what the emergency could be. <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. Would you be surprised if I said to you, on this just in, aliens uh, have just visited the White House and they're going to hold a joint press conference with President Biden? I wouldn't be surprised. This is an unstable situation. Prepare for the worst and hope and pray for the best. I want you to check out the um, great deals at My Patriot Supply right now. Just go to preparewithglenn.com. That's preparewithglenn.com. Save $250 now on a three-month emergency food supply. Do it now. Preparedwithglenn.com. Cash. Welcome to the program. Thank you so much for sitting down with me. Glenn, thanks so much for having me on. And if I can just take 30 seconds to say, I grew up watching your show and learning so much about <laughs> modern American politics and history. And for me to be sitting here, it's really weird and awesome. Wow. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. You are um, somebody that I have wanted to talk to for a long time because of your credentials. You've been all over the world. You've been one citations from the cia uh, you have been in line to be the cia director there is no one that i know of well very few i should say that could define the deep state perhaps as well as you because you've seen it from both sides can you tell me what the deep state really is wow we could go on forever but i kind of call it an operation that's run by government gangsters. And I don't use that term lightly. I came to that term over the years where I found the erosion of our law enforcement intelligence communities. <clears throat> For me, it started as a public defense when I caught FBI agents lying on the witness stand and there was no retribution or accountability, I should say. Then I became a terrorism prosecutor at Maine Justice. And similarly, I began to work on some pretty high-profile cases, such as Benghazi. And I remember reporting to Attorney General Eric Holder saying, we're going about this the wrong way, not getting the bad guys killed. You're politicizing this act. Mm. And they just let it go. And so it sort of carries from there. But I've always believed the top level, whether I was chief of staff at DOD or whatnot, those levels have to be filled with people who serve the mission. And those people are the ones currently, Chris Ray and at the time Barr and now Garland, who are giving top cover for the corruption at the FBI and DOJ. So I had a conversation with Bill Barr and I found him to be a very reasonable man, etc. But as I've watched what has happened since he's left, the things he said, well, I was just protecting, make sure that this thing could come out and whatever. It's not playing out that way. So he's a he's a very intelligent man. Uh, was he part of the deep state or was he just naive? 
No, you can't be a two-time attorney general and have the accolades and acumen that Bill Barr does and be naive. You are part of the cover-up if you don't help expose it. And look, let me just give you one example. As the chief investigator for Devin Nunes on Russiagate, where we exposed the corruption about the lies to the FISA court perpetrated by DOJ and FBI who are willing to sling false information for political witch-hunting purposes. We exposed that. Then we took that information over the course of years and we showed it to Bill Barr when he was the attorney general. And we said, look, we know we did that to Rod Rosenstein, too. And we said, this didn't happen on your watch. Help us clean it up. We did the same thing with Chris Ray. And we supplied them with all the information. We said, help us. You're the executive. You're the top law enforcement officer. The American people want accountability. Will you provide it? And what I found, unfortunately, is that what the deep state does best is ride its mountain of arrogance for corruption cover-up purposes. And Bill Barr is right now, you know, look, he's personally attacked me, which which is fine. I, you know, it doesn't bother me. I've been attacked by everyone <clears throat> in the country. And the most of the time I'm being attacked by whether it's liberals or Democrats or conservatives or whatnot is it just means I'm over the top. And I and I called out Bill Barr for failing to do his job. He took, uh, you know, I guess ire against that and wrote about me in his book about how I wasn't qualified to do this or that. And I found it ironic from a man who became attorney general at the age of 37 um, when he had less experience than I did for some of the jobs I held when I was older than he was. And so, um, you know, I guess he's doing a sort of... Uh, book tour lap so is this um cash the deep state do you believe that this is um uh, a group of people that don't care who the president is they're going to do what they want um or are they controlled by a party or does it matter Wow, that's a great question. I, you know, no one's ever put it to me like that. I think it's a hybrid, Glenn, if I'm being honest. I think when Donald Trump got elected, it was, we don't care who the president is. I think if you take the watershed moment of before his presidency, it was, we know better than anyone else. And once you combine those two periods of time and fast forward to today, it's almost like, we don't care. We are in these positions, be it SEC, DEF, chairman, AG, FBI director, what have you. Um, the public be damned. What I found is these people have come into these positions to service their own egos and forgot their oath of office to serve the American people. And time and time again, you see that on the national security front. It's what I lobby against the most is the politicization of the national security and law enforcement apparatus in this country to the degradation of the FBI, DOJ, and DOD. And now you see most Americans, less than half have faith in these institutions. In 2022 America, we don't believe in the core values that stood up our country to protect Americans first. It's just a tragedy. Because we know it's not happening. I mean, you go back to Benghazi. Um, we know we didn't get the truth. We know. Um, I think mm -hmm. all Americans, I don't care who you voted for, if you were honest and you just looked at the facts, you may not blame it on the same people or whatever, but you know that wasn't the truth. Um, mm -hmm. You look at what's happening to Donald Trump now, and he took documents that he said were decla he declassified. It's up to him to declassify them. Um, it long story short he did what he did but he was president of the united states with the ability to do that um and then you look at the secretary of state hillary clinton 
who actually yeah. sent people into a skiff and told them to cut off the top of where it said top secret. She knew what she was doing. One, well, she didn't have the intention to hurt the United States. Well, yeah, but if I did that and I had great intentions, you know, I just wanted to keep it for a record. You know what I mean? I would go to prison forever. Donald Trump has to apparently go to prison forever. So how can we have faith in these? Because they're not treating the same things in the same way. You're absolutely right. And the way to restore that is to destroy the two-tier system of justice that now exists in everyday America. And it doesn't just exist at the FBI and DOJ prosecutorial levels. You see it exists at the state levels with the state attorneys general, such as in New York. You also see it at the whistleblower levels where certain whistleblowers like Chiaramella and Vindman are regaled and rewarded. Yes. And other whistleblowers who are recently coming forward at the FBI with actual corruption are essentially fired. Now, returning back to the two-tier system of justice, this is something maybe I'm biased in for my time as a prosecutor and public defender, but it used to be this was the one country in the world where mm -hmm. if someone broke the law, the same law applied to everyone. But as you highlighted uh, succinctly, that changed with the Hillary Clinton uh, model in terms of how to handle classified information at that point. And it's just been a disastrous sort of downhill landslide ever since. And there is a solution. I, I, you know, I've been a part of the machine to know that there is a solution to be ticked off enough to get angry at the machine and then get past that anger and say, how do we fix it? One, people always say, you know, is it just enough to have Congress? Is it enough to have the White House? It's not enough to have those three things alone. You need the American people. If the American people aren't educated in the fact that this can happen in modern day America, because Glenn, you know more than anybody, half of America, because of the disinformation campaign put on by the Democrats and the radical left and the corrupt FBI, thinks Donald Trump's an FBI asset, or excuse mm -hmm. me, a Russian asset. We have to go back and reteach the truth. And we shouldn't have to do that. But I think the American populace, I've always said this, has the biggest power to move the DOJ and the FBI, more so than Congress ever could with their subpoenas and more so than the White House could with their appointments of AGs and directors. The only thing the FBI and DOJ listen to is the will of the American people. And if the will is saying you have violated your oaths and created a two-tier system of justice, we have to abolish it. I want to paint you a picture in the parallel economy I'm always telling you about. When you buy socks, you're probably getting them from, I don't know, China or wherever. But when you buy socks from Grip6, for instance, you're not just getting the best socks on the market. And I'm not making that up. They are guaranteed for life. If ever had holes in your socks, what if you could just return them and go, um, there's a hole in my sock? Guaranteed. That's how much they believe in him. But also, not only the best, you're supporting American jobs and lots of them. You're supporting the American ranchers who raise specially bred sheep that produce modern wool. The American manufacturers who wash that wool. I think it's in South Carolina. They they process it and then weave it into socks with new technology to keep your feet warm in the winter and cool in the summer. The American business owners who have accepted the risks that come along with only using American-made products and American labor. That's who these people are. That's what these socks really mean. You're not just getting socks. You're participating in an American movement, making a statement to the rest of the country and to the world. Hey, 
doesn't hurt at the end of the day you're getting also amazingly comfortable socks i want to challenge you to be part of the movement join this parallel economy and check out grip six today i wear them i love them i think you will too put your trust and hard-earned money in a company that does it right here in america grip com. maybe you can answer this question i just was in a meeting with my production staff and i asked my producers okay here's the question i want answered we all know, I mean, even people on the other side that vote the other way, if they're aware at all of what's happening just in their schools, mm-hmm. at no time did any American except the extraordinary fringe say, well, uh, uh, an adult that's attracted to a child, we should, we should think of that as a different choice. No time has American ever. We have always known pedophilia is an evil act. It's an evil act. Now, why aren't people standing up? Why aren't people? I mean, in mass, why aren't people standing up? Couple of suggestions, and I'd love your comments on them. Are they afraid? Are they afraid Um, of the FBI? And uh, because I know... I, for the first time, for the first time, am very concerned. I wouldn't say afraid because I don't like that word, but I, I have actually thought I keep doing this. What is my life going to end up looking like? That's hey, terrifying. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And you're right. I don't like the word being afraid or terrified, especially when it comes to standing up to corrupt government activities. And I think the answer for this lies in basically the following. Look, I'll just give you one example to extrapolate on your point. Crimes against children who can't rally around stopping such a heinous act. But we actually have just been told by the uh, whistleblower that went to Senator Grassley's office in Senator Jordan's office or Congressman Jordan's office that not only was the FBI deviating and falsifying and cooking the book so we can have more violent extremist statistics for Chris Ray to lie about, but while doing that, they were taking off the mission. And he specifically, this whistleblower highlighted the mission they were taking off of, child sexual crimes. Our FBI, instead of investigating these crimes in the field, is being controlled by Washington headquarters to supply false information for a radical left headline that Joe Biden and the media can can trump it out. Now, yes, people are afraid because when they speak up, there's retribution if you speak up for the right things taking on crime, reducing the opioid crisis, securing our border, you know, making gas cheaper. (laughs) And they've seen what happens to guys like you and me and, you know, Trump. We are assailed nonstop. You've had death threats. I've had death threats. Who needs that? We've had heinous racial slurs thrown our way. And these are all coming from people who said we were the evil. Right. But but let me let me let me take what you just said and add to this. I really don't know, Cash, if Donald Trump said today, you know what? I'm just going to play golf for the rest of my life. I'm not interested in politics. I don't think that would be good enough. I really think these people will not stop until there's a perp walk. 
And that guy has been more. There has been more investigations on Donald Trump by all of the organizations around the world, all of the the CIA's and the MI6's all around the world <laughs> there or MI5 that have done their investigation. And honestly, not an honest invest. They weren't like, you know, bring me the truth. They were like, get him. If they if they have to file a case in a civil court after three years of investigation again, this guy is clean and they will not be happy until he is on a perp walk. Do you agree with that? You're, you're absolutely right. And, and you're right. It's not enough just to get Trump. Trump is at the top of the pyramid. But you've seen what they've done. They falsely go after people in Trump's circle and set them up and frame them. Michael Flynn, uh, just to name one. Yeah. And these individuals have to spend years fighting the deep state that we talked about who hid his evidence of innocence, which we which when I was deputy director of national intelligence was able to find and declassify. And oh, by the way, the deep state came in and threatened me then and said, national security will be destroyed and sources will be killed. And I said, we can do it in a smart way. And isn't the innocence of one American more important than yes. your bogus concerns of national security? And so, you know, I learned and lived in that sort of cauldron of taking on the deep state. But they're the ones that are coming after Trump full bore. But they're not just coming after him. They're coming after everyone in his universe. So why? Everyone he ever talked to. So why? I I personally think it's because the deep state is all for a reshaping of the Western world. ESG, the World Economic Forum, that they are knee deep in all of that. They're also knee deep in corruption and money and God only knows what happened really in Ukraine. Um, so you've got all of all of that. I think that's why they were trying to stop Donald Trump, because he wrecks all of their plans. What else would it be? What? Why do they hate him so much? I think I, you know, this is a great way of looking at it. I think for me is the following. They hate him because he accomplished what they were campaigning on for decades in a couple of short years under the marking as a Republican conservative leader in the United States of America. And let me just unpack that a little bit. What I mean is, you know, he ended the forever wars. I had a big, I had a part in that mm-hmm. when I was chief of staff at DOD, just to name one thing. He put America first and secured the border. These used to be initiatives that were lauded by the liberals and the Democrats. They didn't want to send our young men and women off to fight forever wars and be killed. In Correct. Them. The Ukraine is just another example. But look at the if you juxtapose Afghanistan and the Ukraine, look at who now is cheering essentially war in the Ukraine. It's the people that that just yes. hated on us for 20 years of Afghanistan. Yes. So the reason I think they hate Donald Trump is because he was the only human being who came in and literally took policies they stood for but couldn't accomplish or didn't want to because once they did, they'd have nothing else to do mm-hmm. and made him his and convinced people in the Republican side that some of these situations that we had in Afghanistan, we had the wrong view in. And look, I was some of those guys in some of those situations. And I can admit that I was wrong on those on some of those instances. And and, and President Trump and I have had many arguments about it. But at the end of the day, I think that's why people hate him so much, because he 
did what they said they were going to go to Washington to do and tried it for 20 years. And he comes in and he does it in essentially two because the first two of his administration, two years of administration were marred by, you know, the Russiagate scandal and him being Putin's crony. Uh, let me let me just um, stop here while we're on foreign wars and talk to you a little bit about Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, I just feel like for the very first time, America is itching for a war. I've never seen us. You know, we we've done clandestine stuff. Everybody knows if Russia's in a war, we're there supplying stuff, but we don't <laughs> say it. You know what I mean? This time we are saying, oh, by the way, we're sending over 1500 more tanks and we got some drones. Look at these great drones. We're sending them. It's it, we are antagonizing and we're sending all of this money over to the most corrupt country in the world, in the world. No accountants are going with it. There's no accountability. It was totally corrupt uh, with the Biden administration or the Obama administration with Joe Biden and his son over there. God only knows what is happening. It's helping collapse our own currency. What the hell is going on? Well, let me. Yeah, if um, I could take it from this perspective as a guy who is, you know, a civilian in JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command, and I was fortunate enough to be the chief of staff in the Defense Department. I am all for funding our troops, our warriors, our guardsmen and women, and our civilian force to the maximum uh, possible. What I am 100% against is the defense industrial complex, mm -hmm. and no one has taken them on. My first day in office as the chief of staff, I called the five CEOs of the big five offices, Lockheed, Boeing, Northrop, and a couple other carriers. And I talked to them and I said, look, you guys provide a valuable mission to the United States defense. But you also equally make billions off wasted products and services. But you know who wins? The lobbying industry in Washington, the crooked politicians in D.C. And you ask why they're itching to see a war, because this town, tragically, as I have learned, is built and paid for in large part by this defense industrial complex that no one has had the gall to take on because every secretary of defense that goes through there came from it and has his golden yeah. parachute back out into it, Mark Esper being the latest. So and until and unless you take them on like we try to, and make it a priority and we'll be called, you know, anti-American for doing so. Then we're going to keep mailing literally pallets of money to the Ukraine with zero accountability. I analogize the Ukraine as the following. It's simple. It's the modern day Afghanistan. We sent billions of dollars for 20 years in troops and soldiers to Afghanistan and had no idea where the money went because it was the most corrupt country in the world. We are sending billions of dollars and the left is lauding us for doing it. But there isn't one banking infrastructure system over there to account for it. And when it gets there, you know what happens? Zelensky gets on the cover of Vogue magazine with his wife mm -hmm. and says, America, why aren't you doing more? And one vignette that I can add is surface to air missile defense systems, which are near and dear to you know what we do around the world. We gave the Ukraine seven years worth of our supplies of surface to air missiles. Let's just put that in perspective here, audience. It's going to take us seven years to restock that supply which we gave away in the Ukraine. Why? 
Because this administration thinks it's the cool, for lack of a better word, thing to do. First, look, I'm not against helping other countries. You're talking to an Indian kid who comes from one of the poorest countries on planet Earth. But I'm not out there saying America should send billions to India. You know, I might get hated on it by my own people, but I said I was born and raised as American to help Americans first. And then if we can and have the wherewithal help everybody else. Why the Ukraine? Because it became the anti-Trump rallying call to take on President Trump's agenda. You know, they lost it, the, the ball with January 6th because the facts came out and then Ukraine came in and they know they couldn't take on the blame they were left with for the failed policies, which allowed Putin to invade the Ukraine in the first place, who's now threatening nuclear war, by the way, because our leadership, Joe Biden and company, has no footing on the diplomatic international stage. They have no threat to defeat Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un, or Vladimir Putin. And the reason the Ukraine has become the shiny object for the world is because if the radical left puts it out in the media that it's popular to do, then Joe Biden's going to trumpet it. I don't know if you saw Stacey Abrams was saying today, oh, this heartbeat at six weeks doesn't happen. That's just a sound produced by men who are trying to control women's bodies. Are you now actually denying what an ultrasound does? Are you saying, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, record that. Put it in a magic box. So when you put that gel on that belly, you just have made by men. What are you nuts? Here's why she had to discredit the ultrasound. She had to discredit it because you uh, moms will pick life for their child once they hear that heartbeat uh, at a rate of about 80 percent, 80 percent come in. They want to abort, but they hear the heartbeat. They get the ultrasound 80 percent of the time they switch. You know how remarkable that is? I want you to be part of a movement. I want you to dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. Um, Preborn.com is uh, the, they're the people that are the biggest competition, if you will, with Planned Parenthood. And things are so nuts. And we need God's protection. And I can't think of a single thing that will grant us more peace and um, and more attaboy points than sincerely working to save children's lives. Dial pound 250, say the keyword baby, or go to preborn.com slash Glenn. You played an important role. I can't remember what your title was when you were working against terrorism um, in the United States. What, what position did you yeah, hold? A uh, long time. Deputy Assistant to the President for Counterterrorism, essentially okay. the head of counterterrorism. Right? Okay. For counterterrorism, we now have an administration that is using all of the tools from the Patriot Act, all the things that we said would never, ever happen in America. And you have him giving what I call the blood red speech, um, saying that there are terrorists and they vote for Republicans like Donald Trump. Can you give me any indication 
on how big the even the Nazis are in America and what is what is the end game other than the obvious one? The, the end game is to label enough of us as falsely seditious, treasonous, violent extremists. And I take you back to the example of how the FBI has been caught padding statistics to label all Trump supporters and, and especially anyone tied to January 6th as a domestic violent extremist. That's fancy government verbiage for terrorist. And the difference that we did in the Trump administration versus this administration is we actually took on Iran. We didn't invite their president to our right. soil. We didn't say we want to get back in the JCPOA and pay you billions of dollars, which you can use to kill our men and women who are serving our country overseas. Donald Trump, let me just, you know, he gave me a specific set of marching orders when I headed up his counterterrorism program and national security apparatus. He said, Cash, we're just going to do some simple stuff. Go kill the emirs of ISIS, wipe out al-Qaeda senior leadership, bring home American hostages and the forever wars, and bring back our men and women in uniform. You know, that's not really apolitical stuff. And I was in the situation with President Trump when we killed Baghdadi. It's probably one of the highlights of my career in government service, if you're allowed to say such a thing. And I thought, wow, we just took out the world's number one terrorist. And President Trump's first reaction was, go get me the names and numbers of the four American families whose children were butchered by this man. That was on his mind. That's what drove him and us to focus on the mission. And I remember CNN the next day actually wrote an article glorifying Baghdadi as some sort of uh, Muslim saint. I forget Mm -hmm. the verbiage. And that's the difference, Glenn. That's just, that's the difference. When a terrorist is an actual terrorist, They'll, under Trump, they'll go out of their way to redefine him. When Americans are doing American activities and they are losing the battle, they, the media, they will label us through the deep state as domestic violent extremists or terrorists. And, um, you know, we can't have that. So, you know, when we got the affidavit, it was page after page. It was just all black, uh, <laughs> black bars, except for this page where they talk about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did you feel about that when that came out? Well, look, it's it, it, it takes me back to the days when I was the first individual subpoenaed by the January 6th committee. And I said and I found out because The Washington Post p- p- uh, called me in the middle of the night to say we've got information. So you mean Adam Schiff and company leaked to you that mm-hmm. I was subpoenaed? You could have called me. I think it's your duty when you're such a high level government officer to go in before Congress and testify with accountability and tell them the truth. Now, we did that and it cost me a couple hundred thousand dollars, but that's why they do it. They want to as is kicking you. They want to make you afraid. They want to sideline you. They want to get you a target on your head. You know what happened as a result of that subpoena? The same thing that happened as a result of unmasking me in that search warrant. I got death threats. I got letters. I got hate mail. I got racist vitriol spewed my way. And as a former prosecutor talking about the search warrant uh, affidavit itself, there is no reason and also a violation of every rule of law we are taught at DOJ to name me and my personal information. It added no value to that search warrant for the public to see except one. Cash Patel is going to have a target on his head once again. We are going to go for him. He is going to have to whim, uh, bend the knee to our uh, government gangster tactics. And I'm just not going to do it. And I've been, you know, combating that ever since. And I'm sure it's going to take years for me to deal with it. But that's the reason they did it. 
because I was the Russiagate guy, because I was Donald Trump's national security guy, because we had successes in both, because I was the guy that exposed the truth about January 6th when President Trump actually authorized law, uh, federal uh, military uniformed officers mm-hmm. to come and insist. They keep putting a target on my head. And I said, if I did something illegal or lied about something, you should hold me accountable 100 percent. But you are targeting me for destroying your fake disinformation narrative that you have leapt onto the American people. And so many people have voted because you have lied to them. And now these people are still in positions of power. Okay, so I know this is ongoing and there's things you just can't talk about. Um, But I got to ask some questions because I honestly watching this. It was very clear. And then you got the special master or whatever he is looking at things. Is he a good guy, bad guy? What is he looking at? You were at the archives. I have no idea what the hell this story is, how it all actually is playing. So can I can we just take it a little piece at a time? And maybe you can because if you don't understand it. People are worried about buying food and getting diapers and baby food. They are yeah. they have no idea what this story is really all about and most importantly why they should care. So so let's start at the beginning. Um yeah. the president not not I shouldn't say that. The GAO, the government uh, office, okay, they came in, mm-hmm. they scooped up all of the papers, they put them in boxes. Not at his order on, I want this paper and this paper. Am I correct so far? I mean, I wasn't there for that, so I don't know. That's what I've read publicly. Okay, all right. And so then they're shipped down to Mar-a-Lago. And this happens with every president. Every president has gone through this because it's all in his stuff and we got to sort through it. Um, Tell me what happens after that. So here's, yeah, you're right. The simple process, agnostically speaking for every president, is when a president leaves, he maintains a legacy security clearance, and he is, as he should, Obama should, Clinton should, Bush should, so should Trump's, uniform application of the law, because they are former commanders-in-chief who are called upon uh, by companies, by government officials, by overseas officials for, for advice and mm-hmm. consultation because of they, they are one of the only people in the history of the world that have ever held that position. So once those mate- – and look, Obama, for instance, has 30 million documents still in his possession somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, you're, but you're I'm ca- the one that's going – this is this has been argued every they're argued all the time because you have a presidential library. That's mainly why people will fight over it at the end. That's why Obama, you know, I want this in my library that belong. That's yeah. my history and belongs there, not at the National Archives. And usually they skate. Usually it's not a problem. Well, you can also have guys like the guy in the Clinton administration who went into the archives and stuffed things in his Correct. pants. Literally. Sandy Berger. And and walked out and destroyed you know, some. nothing happened. Right. And, and, and then Bill Clinton has tapes in his sock drawer, mm-hmm. which I will actually argue that he as a president claimed those were his personal records. He has an absolute right to have them. Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't want to release them, it's a problem for accountability, but it's not illegal. Mm-hmm. You know, the, you know, and that's where people get confused. They're like, because no one ever pays attention to this boring book moving stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. We're moving papers at the end of the administration. Who cares? Well, they care when it's Donald Trump. Right. When it was Hillary Clinton, who literally and by James Comey's own statement, actually moved classified information over 100 times 
in a sequence, but got a hall pass because he said she was reckless. He, by the way, James Comey hijacked the decision from the DOJ. I was a national security prosecutor there at the time. I was infuriated at that and broke the law in doing so. And so what this is all about to me is basically teaching the American people about a uniform application of justice and not a two-tier system of justice. And this is the ultimate example. And if President Trump doesn't fight this, then they're never gonna learn it. Whether documents were classified or not and what was is a side question to the ultimate rule of law and the commander in chief sitting atop the executive branch is the sole arbiter of classification. That's it. That's the law. That's the thing Americans need to understand. When President Obama went out and told the world that we had killed Osama bin Laden, and rightfully so, not only did we do it, but he told the world, he wasn't back there saying, okay, let's run this rigorous process of declassification so I can go tell the world. He said, I'm going out there and saying it because I'm the president of the United States. Mm -hmm. I have the authority to do it. Why is it any different now? So... In that famous picture of all the documents laid out, I actually heard CNN, and I think this is revisionist history because I think it was first announced that they were showing them. But now it is look at how unsecure these this is how these documents were found all spread out on the floor like that. Uh, <laughs> is that how they were kept? I mean, I, so, I, you know, what I've said publicly is I learned that there were documents at Mar-a-Lago when the world found out there were documents at Mar-a-Lago. So you know. I can't testify that they, that they were kept that way. Um, having been around President Trump, I don't think he would just have them around, scattered around in <laughs> no. perfect position for right. pictures to be taken. <laughs> and, you know, if I can borrow from my friend John Ratcliffe, the former DNI, you know, a great American, he said, you know, those are government cover sheets that say top secret on them. Those aren't classified in and of themselves. Also, just because documents have classification markings on them doesn't mean they're still classified. Mm -hmm. All documents that were once classified say that and declassified later have classification markings on them. I know I have stuff from and, World War II you know, that, that clearly marked left top out. secret. <laughs> I've got the I've got the landing charts for D-Day all marked top secret <laughs> eyes only you know uh, i think it's okay um uh, okay so you at one point were asked with john solomon to go to the national archives it's my understanding that the national archive if you are the head of the national archives that's not a political position you are the archivist so without passion you preserve history correct that's what it's you're supposed the librarian to be. well yeah you're the librarian you're a librarian right but um it was the national archives that reached out the head of the national archives that reached out to the fbi which mm -hmm. is unusual usually they just if they have a problem with the president they usually just go right to the president can you speak at all to what what happened with the uh, you know, we were sending them the stuff they asked for. And now all of a sudden, you know, we have to get out of the house and they've got a SWAT team at the house. Yeah. All I know is what I could what's been publicly reported that the archivist, for some reason, made that referral that you said about 
um, Trump, but the same archivist didn't make that referral about Hillary Clinton. Um, and so, again, the two-tier system of justice. And I look, yeah, ju- it is 100% true. The president earlier this year named John Solomon Me his representatives, formal representatives for the National Archives, which a president's allowed to do, to start culling through the paperwork and, as you said, essentially building his library and you know putting out documentation for the American public. The fact remains, they've never let me go down there, nor has John Solomon been able to go down there. Um, and they won't let you know, you have a to, member of the press and somebody appointed by a former president go in and see the documents from the White House. As representative, John's a representative, too. They won't let us there. They won't let us in. We've been uh, trying to do it the right way for months and communicating that with them formally and asking them nicely. And, you know. Some of these details will probably intertwine into the ongoing stuff, so I won't get into them. But basically, we've gotten the Heisman and we've said, you know, with cute government language and a new excuse every day once we overcome the previous excuse. And the sole purpose of us going down there was to go and identify documents that should be made public for the American people, uh, which, you know, that's that's not criminal. Uh, But of course, it is if you're doing it on behalf of Donald Trump. If you're one of the millions of Americans who suffer every day from pain, listen up. There is hope, and it comes in the form of Relief Factor. Every day, I'll see testimonials of people who have tried Relief Factor for their pain and gotten their life back. I just got one today. The woman said she was in so much pain. Gosh, I was trying to remember what it was. Um, And she was a young person that had all kinds of problems and pain. She couldn't take it. Her husband said, we'll try this. She did. She's now walking comfortably every day. She said, I haven't. She had just been on it for two weeks. She said, I haven't had the pain that I've lived with almost my whole life. Just try this. If you're in pain, please just try this. It's relief factor. It's a natural way to reduce inflammation. It hits your body in four different directions to stop inflammation. Just try it for three weeks to get the three-week quick start. It's 1995. 70% of the people who order it go on to order more. Why would you do that unless it works? If it's not working for you in three weeks, it's probably not going to work. It's a natural way to get your life back. It's relieffactor.com. That's relieffactor.com. Trump did declassify one of his last things, declassify all of the stuff on Russiagate and all that crap. Um, But it didn't come out um is that what he is thinking is it the archives or is that what he had do we know i don't know but you know i don't i wasn't there mechanically to at the end of the administration or had any knowledge that these documents were there but i mean the 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 things that he wants to make public is Mm -hmm. that what your that that's obviously what you guys were tasked to go find um and did were those documents made public at any time or are there more things other shoes to drop that again the deep state is standing in the way protecting? oh i see i see sorry i misunderstood so so let me let me give it to you this way so when devin nunes and i uh, did russiagate we uncovered a swath of documents that we wanted out there for the public to see and we have always said over the years we only got out about 60 percent of the documents so why weren't the rest ever turned over because they were 
blockaded, obfuscated, and deflected by the deep state. And even a lot of government, uh, President Trump's appointees were involved in the process of blocking him because it exposed more government corruption. So I believe those documents exist because I, at one point in my tenure in Congress, had seen them. Mm. Um, and, um, and we had been seeking their public dissemination lawfully ever since. That is Devin and I. So I think that's what President Trump was going after. And and I've said in the you know in the media in the past that you know President Trump was one of the most uh, you know transparent presidents in U.S. history, and you know it's no secret that he issued even a tweet I think in October of 2020 where he said every RussiaGate document and every Hillary Clinton email document is hereby declassified. Why they weren't put out? That answer lies with the deep state. So, uh, hypothetically speaking, Donald Trump runs. He becomes president of the United States again. I've asked him this question. Um, are you able to do it? I mean, the entire mm-hmm. system is set up to thwart you or anybody like you. And he said, I can't do it with the same Republicans I had last time. That's what he told me. Can he... Can one man in four years even make a real dent in this? Uh, probably not most men. Him, yes. Because I think he learned, you know, one of the most important lessons um, during his first term. That even though you should be able to trust government officials, especially high-level career officials, you no longer can. Because they are the deep state. And we have to bring in, and I think that's why he's so tirelessly campaigning for a change in the representation in Mm -hmm. Congress and the Senate come this November, Mm -hmm. because that's part and parcel of him accomplishing his America first uh, agenda should he decide to run and win again. The second thing that has to happen, is not just Congress. You have to appoint people, not just to the cabinet secretary level positions, but the chiefs of staff, the deputies, the undersecretaries, um, and so forth, at Treasury, at State, at DOD, at CIA, at NSA. All of these people have to be appointed after a careful selection process, not to be loyal to the president. People always um, you know, conflate these two things, but to be loyal to the job that the commander in chief has lawfully outlined you to do which is follow the rule of law and his duly elected capacity as president and carry out the border enforcement mission, the countering narcotics mission, the overseas mission on taking out Russia and China and Iran and things like that. So we can, you know, we can go on for days about individuals that intervened in that process because they thought they stood above the president and of course the media lauded them for it. And then you gotta restore, the, the heart of it all is you have got to go in there and clean house at DOJ and FBI and prosecute those in the positions of power that broke the law. I think it's possible. I know it's a long shot and Vegas probably isn't taking those odds, but I do think it's doable. I watch this and I have been in situations myself where my wife has said, good God, we're living like a mini Jason Bourne movie here because <laughs> this stuff is it's real. Yeah. It's it's bizarre when you see it yourself. It's bizarre. You've only seen it in movies. Mm-hmm. But there is so much money, so much power, um, and so many people that are exposed. How 
do you live through that? And I mean, actually, how do you, how does Trump, how do other people who are fighting, how are they not just liquidated in some accident or whatever that we've seen in movies? Or is that just the movie? You know, hopefully it's just the movie because I don't want to be liquidated. Yeah, I don't, I don't either. President Trump does either. And I, I don't think you do either. You know, I think what we find and and, and I'm not going to speak for you, but I, I know what I find when I go around the country. And as you often do at speaking engagements, you see the change in the American dynamic about the people that are there and the things that they are saying and talking about. And I think our messaging campaign is finally getting through to them in terms of educating not just the youth, but the adults. And <clears throat> that energizes me. When I go to Arizona or Nevada or Florida or California or wherever, and I see these people and they come up to me and say, I don't, it's not that you need their thanks and they're not giving it insincerely, but they tell you specifically why. Mm -hmm. And they tell me it's because you and Trump and so-and-so did X for our community or did Y for the military or helped bring this hostage home to our state after she was gone for five years. Things like that, I think they're tuning into more because they've learned, a lot of these Americans, that they've been bamboozled by the disinformation campaigns of the fake news mafia, and they need to be more involved. So I think why we don't stop uh, is just that, because if we stop, who's going, at least for President Trump's perspective, who's gonna come in and fill that seat? Uh, I'm just trying to think about uh, making sure that I've covered everything I wanted to cover on the on the Mar-a-Lago um, thing. Uh, I guess I mean I I need you to explain to the American people why this happening to Donald Trump or how it affects them that I don't care who you voted for, mm -hmm. this is a big deal. And this is the way, this is the time I sort of tell you if the shoe were on the other foot analogy, right? And it's a little colloquial, but it's about as easy a way to break it down as you possibly can. What if Donald Trump were Joe Biden and Joe Biden were Donald Trump and you applied the same sets of facts to these situations or better yet, Barack Obama? What if the FBI raided Barack Obama's home in Chicago, ransacked it and turned it upside down after getting a search warrant against a former president of the United States for supposedly having classified information. These same people that are excoriating President Trump would be out there excoriating the FBI and DOJ for these actions. And in order to change that and defeat the two-tier system of justice, you have to level that field. And that's why people need to care because if you don't want it to happen to you in your own homes and you don't want it to happen to your brothers and your sisters and your moms and your dads because they are America first people or because they support Donald Trump, make no mistake, that's who they're targeting. And until you fix it, they're going to continue to target you. And that is why I think Americans do care, but that is also why I think more Americans need to care together. Have you heard the term glowy? I don't know. I, I know we talk about glowing poo in my new book, but other than that, no. <laughs> um, now, glowy, I guess, is uh, 
a government agent or informant infiltrating often right leaning political space with a supposed intention of surveilling violent extremists provoking entrapment. Uh, I guess this is. Yeah. So go ahead. That's just a confidential informant, you know, and this takes me back to January 6th. Um, How is it that a person like Ray Epps and company were on the FBI's most wanted list on day one and removed on day two for the incidents of January 6th and all the videotapes uh, that we've seen about him. And then the head of the FBI counterintelligence division goes before Congress and is asked uh, by one of the senators, is Ray Epps a government informant, an undercover operative? She doesn't say no. She doesn't say that would never happen. She says, I am unable to answer that at this time. You have your answer. So what do you want to call them, glowies or government informants? They do use them. They used them in the Whitmer prosecution, which resulted in uh, a hung jury and acquittal for half the defendants up there. So they are being used, I think, to target political um, operations. And it's another constitutional oversight rule that Congress has to get the documentation out for, especially on January 6th and the likes of Ray Epps, to see who in the FBI knew and who ordered it and why they covered it up. Let me ask you some um, questions and just tell me the biggest lesson you learned or the, mm-hmm. the, the, the shock that you just did not expect in each of these categories. One, okay. the media. The hate, <clears throat> the, the, the outright hateful lying when from the time from when I was a congressional staffer through my tenure in the Trump administration to now. I thought and knew the media could be dirty, but I did not know they could be so hateful and vindictive and vengeful and would lie about it just to get their way. Um, Big tech. The biggest corruptors in the United States of America and the world. How do you mean? Facebook, Twitter. Let's go with the U.S. first. Facebook, Twitter and whatnot. We've now found out, no surprise, as Devin and I started to unveil way back when, that Facebook had been approached by the FBI to assist in disinformation operations, especially when it came to the Hunter Biden laptop. And that Mark Zuckerberg spent $400 million in an election cycle for what we don't exactly know yet. And and so when you have a company of that size and you carry yourself out to be a pro-american company welcoming of all people and you perform those activities then you censor freedom of speech those are the biggest threats to american democracy because they are the ones that get the message out more than anyone else now when you switch to overseas look at what china has done Mm -hmm. with big tech you know we took on TikTok for a reason and shut them down it's now been proven that the reason we shut them down was because they were selling your information to the Chinese Communist Party so they could target Americans. This is what big tech is allowed to do. Under Did you, this could you explain they, explain that? I I say this to my family that's always on TikTok, and I'm like, you're out of your mind. What uh-huh. are you doing? Oh, it's not going to affect me. Could you just explain what you just said? Yeah. Look, and, and, and I'll speak to it for my role as the deputy director of national intelligence. China and Russia are always looking to get our stuff, our intelligence, our personal information. The TikTok average person. Perfect, 
the average person, TikTok is a, because you can't target from a micro perspective. If you're an adversary to the United States, you target from a macro perspective and you hoover up as much info as you can. And then you have a zillion analysts at home sifting through it. TikTok's the perfect example. TikTok's parent company, ByteDance, had a, uh, was a Chinese-backed company. So what did they do? They essentially allowed that company, and we caught them, to, to just shuffle information of your kids, of your brothers, of your sisters, whoever was on TikTok in America, over to the Chinese Communist Party. And yeah, maybe they're right, and they're like, they're never going to use it against us. But they're using against us writ large. They are making money and stealing our information, and you are giving it to them. And, and if it doesn't directly impact you, it will impact your neighbor or someone you know. And if you think like the Chinese, who always think years in advance, that mm-hmm. child grows up to be the president of the United States. They have exactly. they know that child inside and out when they become the yep. president. Um, and it's not just the publicly available stuff. It's their private information. Correct. That's the most consequential. Um, well, like what private information? Like not the videos you're posting, but. Yeah, right. But what number, you're doing, your. Your, your, your phone number, your email, because people don't really change those. And once you have that, we used to call them in government selectors. You can trail these people outside of TikTok and wherever they go. You make a purchase on whatever.com. You go and sign up for platform A or app B and you use this phone number. Guess what? The Chinese Communist Party and the Russians know who you are from your association with TikTok and take all that information and make a profile of you. And when you're a grown up and you're in a position of leadership, they will use it to damage this country. Let's say you're talking to a Democrat right now, voted Democrat their whole life. They're not. Mm-hmm overly political and they're they're not a marxist okay but they watch the news they follow and they don't like donald trump um and they think that you know some people are very extreme on the right what do you say to that person to open their eyes from you based on your experience of what you've seen I would ask them to give me their biggest example of why they believe that to be the case. And what's likely to come out of their mouth is something associated with Russiagate, something to do with January 6th, something to do with the impeachment one or two, um, or something maybe to do with Mar-a-Lago. And then if they're willing to have a conversation, I'll, you know, you walk them through the facts and you say, OK, you said this was a lawful operation to take on and spy on a presidential a president of the United States. Well, the facts that are borne out through an independent review, Inspector General's report, have revoked those warrants. The FBI has admitted they lied and they got caught and people were fired and John Durham is prosecuting some of them. Those are unassailable facts. Now, they might not want to listen to them, but I'm willing to have those conversations, be it Russiagate or January 6th and the National Guard and troop deployments and how we had it right. And Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser blocked us from protecting the Capitol. And all those facts have come out. Just they don't get them because they're listening to the disinformation campaigns and the fake news. When you were doing all of the Russiagate investigation, we were doing a parallel investigation here, and I entered it with an open mind. I don't think Donald Trump did this, but if he did, he should go to jail. 
Um, he should not be the president of the United States. What I found was this again. It was almost like when it comes to the uh, the democratic world, the polar point that the world spins around seems to be Ukraine. Um, mm-hmm. When you started going into all of the impeachment, talk to me about that. What what shocked you? What yeah. did you what should people know? And what does that feel like? Well, it's pretty brutal to have your name falsely thrust into a presidential impeachment in the United States of America. And let's uh, let's unpack that. What happened? You have a whistleblower in Eric Chiramella and his buddy Vinman who comes in and makes up a complete falsehood so that they can then go into Congress and say, we're whistleblowers, make sure nothing happens to us. President Trump is making side deals and quid pro quos and criminal activity with the Ukrainians. Then you bring in Fiona Hill, the lady who I say basically is the epicenter of Russiagate. Because she not only hired Igor Danchenkov and introduced Christopher Steele to the DOJ, and we can get into all that later, but she goes out there and says, to the effect I'm quoting, you know, Cash Patel had these private meetings with President Trump on the Ukraine. Who? She had had to admit to the world under oath during the testimony that she had never met me. She had never spoken to me and she could not identify what meeting she was talking about because she wasn't in it because it never took place, nor did she know anyone that was in it. So when you get thrust into something like that, and I and I have ongoing defamation suits as a result of that against New York Times, Politico and CNN, because now half the world or more of it thinks I'm some sort of guy that was conspiring with Donald Trump to commit treasonous criminal activity with the Ukraine. And then once we debunked that, the Democrats and the radical left went on to their next iteration of whatever they were going to do, which was January 6th. And, um, you know, again, I found myself in the hot seat just because I was chief of staff of the DOD then. And similarly, I said, well, let's challenge your narrative with the facts. And they never want to have that conversation. Hostage negotiations with some of the worst countries in the world. What is that like? You know, it's it's some of the most gut wrenching and some of the most rewarding work I've ever I'll ever do. President Trump brought home fifty four American hostages. You don't hear detainees. that. You just don't. That's hear more than. That. That's more than every president before him combined. Holy what I tell audiences. Think about if you're if it, uh, someone in your community, let alone your brother or sister, was taken. They were gone for two, three, four, five years. Wouldn't you want them to do everything they could? And that's what we did. He said, "Go bring them home. Bring them home from Iran. Bring them home from North Korea. Bring them home from Turkey. Bring them home from Afghanistan. Bring them home from Syria." I was the first government official in a decade to go into downtown Damascus and meet with Bashar al-Assad's number one guy and demand the release of Austin Tice and other American hostages because I promised his mother I would. And that was a a multi-year process in the making just to do it. And right before I left, they said, are you sure you want to go? It's Syria. Um, You don't have to go. And I said, not going is failing the mission you signed up for. If something happens to me, so be it. 
but the mission is bringing home Americans. Now, we didn't bring home Austin Tice tragically, and I don't know the status of that situation, but, you know, I've wept with these families, you know, Kayla Mueller's family, the Sotlofs, the Foley's, the Cassics. We never got their kids home, but we got them a little bit of justice when we took out Baghdadi and the president and his team named that Operation 8-14, which was Kayla Mueller's birthday. And if you watch that portion of the State of the Union, it's very hard to stay uh, dry-eyed. We, I think we have political prisoners um, here in the United States. Um, January 6th, I can't get information mm-hmm. about them. I uh, I have no idea how long anybody has been in. I know some are still being held. They haven't had a trial. It's we're approaching two years. Mm-hmm. What is the solution there? The, you know, having done that work extensively as a public defender and prosecutor. We are basically living in a modern day political criminal organization. I have never heard of individuals who are over the age of 60 with little or no criminal record being charged with misdemeanors or low level felonies being detained no bond in the United States of America. And I handled thousands of these cases. And it didn't happen to one person, it happened to dozens and scores of them. And unfortunately, we haven't seen any courageous judiciary officers, judges, come in and take these cases on and say, what are you doing, DOJ and FBI? And the only way to fix it is, and I'm afraid it's going to be too far down the road, is until you change the DOJ and FBI, because they're in charge. They're bringing the prosecutions. There's nothing to shut them down. There's nothing to turn them off. And what people are doing in in these dreadful situations is being forced to take plea agreements just to get out, just to say, end it. That's not due process. That's the bastardization of due process. That's what they do in third world republics. We're going to throw you in a cell until you say you did it or did something so we can have our scalp. And, you know, tragically, Glenn, I don't have an immediate solution. A part-time solution is when the gavels switch, you force the FBI and DOJ to put out the documentation substantiating these detentions. But more importantly, you force them to disclose the information on what government operatives were involved and if people were entrapped, that is a violation of the law. And then you have to go after those guys. Well, I would hope that that would happen, but uh, I won't hold my breath for it. But that has to happen. If people don't start paying a price, we're done as a we're done as a nation. And I mean, we are very close to that edge. So with all of the things that you've done, the roles that you have played, um, you, you leave office and you begin to write children's books. <laughs> I, I, I think I know what your answer is going to be, but why? <laughs> uh, and look. Honestly, I I never thought I'd be a writer, a children's book author or anything, but you leave and you try to find a purpose because you want to continue the mission in some way. And my publicist came to me and said, look, you're the Russiagate guy. Let's teach this to kids. And I was like, you're crazy. What are you talking about? That sounds crazy. And then I was like, hang on, let's check what's happening. Why are kids being force-fed CRT and gender dynamics? Why can't we teach them history apolitically? So we did the plot against the king. 
uh, which is available at plotagainsttheking.com. And it became a number one bestseller because here's what we did in that, in that book. And adults have liked it as much as children. We said, you know what's important? Truth, service, and mission. And if we can take it and sort of fantasy, uh, you know, make it a fairy tale, we said in medieval times, we have Hillary Quinton and Keeper Comey and a shifty knight who are taken in a quest for the truth by, you know, Duke Devin and his, his sidekick, uh, Wizard Cash. And we had fun with it. But we don't say be conservative or be Republican or be Democrat or liberal. We say the truth matters, do the right thing. And when your government breaks that trust and truth, it's up to you, the, the kids, the citizens, to become adults and blockade it and, and correct the wrong. And then we thought it would be a one-off and it turned out it's now going to be a trilogy because there was so much demand in a vacuum of what I feel is the education space and even the adult space for to a certain degree. We just debuted The Plot Against the King, 2,000 Mules. In collaboration with Dinesh D'Souza, we took the two-third rails that the American media can't stand, Russiagate, and election integrity, and we're teaching it to our youth and our adults, and they have lost it. We have been getting hit piece after hit piece, which means we're over the target. And I'm not saying in the plot against the King 2000 Mules that this was election theft and that occurred. I'm saying the election was rigged. Hunter Biden laptop disinformation story happened. Now, that's the adult version. What I'm telling the children in that is if the numbers don't add up, if more people voted than humans exist, isn't that a problem? And it's a threat to our democracy, so how do we fix it? We have to ensure the integrity of our elections. And there are people in the kingdom, as we say, like yourselves, that can grow up to do that work. And so that's what we're teaching them in the Plot Against the King trilogy. And if it wasn't cool enough, we had the country music legend, the legend John Rich, make a song <laughs> for our trilogy called The Plot Against the King. And that's out there on Truth Social. And you can get everything at plotagainsttheking.com. Um, it's, it's now become my passion project outside my foundation where we help uh, veterans and kids and, um, and folks have been defamed. This has been my passion project. Who would have thought, Glenn Beck, that I would be sitting here talking about education <laughs> never having held an education post mm -hmm. in my entire government career but well thank you know you, you let me you you've quoted many times um maybe unbeknownst but i doubt it um the uh, eisenhower farewell speech but the one thing that you didn't talk about was the educational complex it is just as bad and he warned about it he said military industrial then the educational and then the science, all three of those things, you know, it's now the science, um, the educational complex. They all have to be examined and shut down. They all have to be shut down. Uh, the government should not be in business with these people. Uh, so I'm glad you're you're helping with kids because that is the future. One last thing. All of the things you've seen. Mm -hmm. Um let's say you're not a fairy tale writer and you are you are being asked to predict how does this end or what does the next five years look like what would you say it's going to be a tough tough sledding and what i mean by that is you know i think we have some relief coming in the midterms 
with hopeful constitutional oversight and probably need something like the akin of a church-like commission to reform the FBI and DOJ from the inside and out. And that's, that's going to be a slow build and a slow process. Then we need accountability in the form of government corruption exposed for the American people to see. That's going to be another lift that the Congress has to take when the Republicans are in the majority. And the ultimate fixes to the deep state, to the corrupt government gangsters, be it the likes of General Milley at, uh, at, as a chairman who unlawfully enters the chain of command and destroys the general officer community by putting politicians in their way and then thumps his chest by drone striking children in Afghanistan after 13 of our service members were killed. Those individuals have to be eliminated from government service forever. And their progeny has also to go. Their mentees, I should say, have also got to go. You know, we didn't talk about the Afghan withdrawal, um, but it's it's one of the things I'm most proud of, and I, and I think it's a good place to end. When we were asked to withdraw, we said we'll do it methodically, we'll do it based on the evidence, and we're never going to leave Americans behind. And the proudest thing we were accomplished was not one American soldier lost their life during our withdrawal under President Trump. And then fast forward to Biden and 13 were killed by a suicide bomber that he, Joe Biden, let out of Bagram when he gave up that Air Force Base, American Air Force Base. And the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, when is stand on the flight line at Dover Air Force Base and do a dignified transfer and tell the families of the fallen that their sons and daughters are never coming home mm-hmm. and we are going to carry your caskets to the resting place. So. I say that in the end because that's the thing that drives me the most. And I hope that Americans can take that and say, how do I apply that to my life, whether it's education, science, or service, or what have you? And you can, because if you teach our youth and adults to go forward with that in their hearts, then I think the American cycle can be complete and we can restore this country back to what it was. But it's a multi-year fight. And you're in it, you know, gosh, you've been in it longer than most I know. And, and, and you're one of the greatest warriors we have. So it's, you know, it's been a true honor to, to be on your show. Thank you for letting me spend some time with you. I, I know this would, you know, a professional wouldn't do it, but I've already been inducted into the Hall of Fame, so I don't really care anymore. <laughs> let, let me ask you just one more question, because you, you, you sparked something in me as you were talking. Donald Trump... Uh, I think reads uh, dictators very well. Um, And people think he's either crazy because he's too strong or he loves them because he's nice. I think Donald (laughs) Trump is probably the shrewdest uh, uh, negotiator when it comes to guys like that. I I think they fear him. Because maybe they think he's got a twitchy eye and this guy's not like the rest. He just might do it. Did you ever witness anything like this that you could talk about? Many times. Let's just let's just put in the context of China, Russia and North Korea. Kim Jong-un and his rockets basically came to a halt in terms of test flights in the Sea of Japan, which were a threat not just to Japan, but American interests around the world if that madman launched a nuclear weapon. China and the CCP and Xi Jinping never threatened to invade Taiwan and upend diplomacy there or rock the boat too much in the South China Sea. And Vladimir Putin didn't invade the Ukraine during President Trump's watch or even threaten it. Those aren't three geopolitical coincidences. 
Those are three examples of America with a leader on the global stage that our foreign adversaries and allies respect and somewhat fear. And whether it's the twitchy eye or the swift actions, what I can tell you is being in the Oval Office, the Air Force One, the Marine One with the President, President Trump, is that he was never one to shy away from swift action to protect American, American interests. And that is the message he relayed to every foreign ally and adversary. And we don't have that anymore from this White House, tragically. And I'm rooting for him. I, I want this White House to stand up and take on our world adversaries because America is hurting. People think that I have the wrong message that I'm just a hater of Joe Biden. I'm cheering for his national security success because it is America's success. But it's not coming, unfortunately. Cash, thank you. We'll talk again. Thanks so much, Clark. You bet. Just a reminder, I'd love you to rate and subscribe to the podcast and pass this on to a friend so it can be discovered by other people. 